0: This morning, I would like to take a very familiar Bible verse, uh, familiar uh, to the point I'd say it's it's even iconic. Um, It's a verse that seemingly sets the bar of obedience impossibly high, and what I would like to do is demonstrate that both our understanding of that verse and our obedience to that verse is rooted... In a proper perception and appreciation of the Old Testament, specifically of Old Testament prophecy, the verse is First Peter chapter one and verse fifteen. I invite you to turn to First Peter chapter one. The verse that we're going to be keying in on and 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 extrapolating is, "As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct." The sermon is critical, I believe, because it places a proper emphasis on, on this series that we're going through, our, our search for Old Testament types and seeing Christ in the Old Testament and in the prophecies. And this is important because this really, this marries that endeavor to our present walk with Christ. This marries that pursuit to what we, our present pursuit of holiness. Um, looking for Christ in the Old Testament isn't just a, um, an, an unnecessary, intriguing puzzle where we're revealing little oddities in the Old Testament. It's more than that. It's critical to our walk right now. I think the Old Testament is largely neglected in a lot of churches today and we want to spend proper emphasis on it but every once in a while i think jumping back to the new testament here to remind ourselves why we're following that pursuit um you remember uh in the early 90s i remember a guy came to our school and you remember the magic eye you remember what that was the uh Put, put that image up there on the screen. You guys remember that? That was really big, early 90s. I think they had just developed a computer program to do it. So how many, how many looking at that, don't say what it is, but how many can tell the 3D image that's there? Anyone can do that really quickly, easily? Raise your hand if you can see what it is. Anybody here? Really? I can do it. I'm pretty quick. You just got to kind of cross your eyes. Anyone here? Absolutely you can't see it. Raise your hand. Anyone here, I'm not even interested in trying. Raise your hand. You're not, I'm not gonna put up with that. Genie, of course, okay. Uh, listen, this is not like our pursuit in the Old Testament. This, you gotta, you know, cross your eye, cock your head just a certain way, and if you look just right, you can see it, but if you can't, oh well. And there's some of us that are like, "I, I couldn't care less, I'm never gonna look for it. That's on a different level than what we're doing when we look to find Jesus in the Old Testament. When we're looking to find Jesus in the Old Testament, what's at stake um, is indicated here in this passage. Being able to properly see Christ in the Old Testament. Our holiness is at stake. And knowing what's at stake indicates the value of what we search for and the value of who we seek. So let's take some time to look at this command as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In this sermon, hopefully we can answer the question, how How can I be obedient to this command? And what I want to do is break it down into, into three biblical, I think I can use the word strategies that we see here in this passage. And so let's do that. Three, three biblical st- strategies um, in being obedient to this command to be holy as God is holy in all of our conduct. And um, let's start by looking at verse 13. We go one sentence back here. Here's the first one. We need to appreciate our standing in prophetic sequence. You need to appreciate your standing in prophetic sequence. And here's here's where I get that from. As we look, at, you know, I want to go back and just maybe to the top of the heading. So verse 13 says, "Therefore, And then it leads up to our command in verse 15. And you know, therefore is very important. When you see the word therefore, unless you can specifically say what the argument was just made, you need to go back and really evaluate the context. When we see that word therefore, what Paul is saying is, or in this case, Peter, whoever the writer is, they're saying the concept I'm about to lay down to you is based upon the concept that I just laid out. It's based on the argument I just made. And so you have to go back and evaluate what was it that he just said. Don't skip that. The word of God's not a fortune cookie. You can't just crack open one verse at a time and expect to be equally blessed. You need to know the flow of thought. And in this passage, we can track track it all the way back to really the first verse. And in verses 3-9, uh, through nine, he is describing our salvation. We're going to cover that in a little bit here in the sermon. But he's describing just the beauty of our salvation. And then in verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He indicated... When, sorry, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were seeking not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look, therefore prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In Peter's exhortation for your holiness, he starts the argument all the way back at the prophets early in Scripture who were prophesying about the salvation to come. And as we look at verses 10 through 12, we see the value of this prophecy and we can appreciate where our place is in that prophetic sequence. We see that the prophets searched for this. In verse 10 it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired Carefully, ought we not also have that same kind of attention to detail as we search the Old Testament and we try to seek to understand the prophecies that they sought to understand? It's regarding us. Just a couple examples of these prophetic um, utterances that pointed to our salvation. One of the first ones in Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis chapter 49, you have um, Jacob on his deathbed. And he's giving blessings to each of his children. And he gives one to Judah. And remember, Judah was not the most savory character in Genesis. He had some major pitfalls in his life. And here in Genesis chapter 49, we see an interesting prophecy that didn't make sense for many, 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 many years. It says, Judah is a lion's club from the, a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's a big, mysterious prophecy that they couldn't make sense of for a long time. Uh, 2000 years after that prophecy was made we see another prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. Let me read that one for you real quick. Isaiah chapter 11 and this is a major prophetic passage about Jesus. It says there shall come forth "...with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be a belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins." And it goes on to say in verse 10, "...in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." Again, a lot of mystery there, but what we see is two prophecies separated by 2,000 years. And then, some 800 years after that prophecy, we see in the book of Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, John seeing a vision in heaven. And you'll remember what what John hears. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open its seven seals so we have The Judah prophecy, 2,000 years later, the Isaiah prophecy. 2,000 years after that, you and I are reading the prophesied fulfillment of that in Revelation chapter 5. And I hope that you can kind of see that we have essentially 6,000 years of growing momentum have been bearing down upon you to bring you to this word today. Can you feel that placement? And in fact it says in verse in verse 12 it says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you you the readers of this verse it says it's they uh they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven So this is is a long and continuous story that didn't end 2,000 years ago. It continues now in you. It continues in your holiness. It continues in your obedience. It continues in your fidelity to what is taught in this book. So we, we see the prophets searched for it. We see the Spirit indicated. In verse 11 it says, they were inquiring what person or time The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He, He is the Spirit, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So we see that not just prophets, but it's from the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of Christ was in the prophets. That's important to note. That makes sense of some other mysterious passages that are in 1 Peter, and we're not going to get too sidetracked with those, but one example is in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 and following. That's a passage you can look at, jot that down and look at that later. A lot of people use that to teach some erroneous doctrine about what happened to Christ after his death. But when we see, oh, you know what? It was the Spirit of Christ in all those Old Testament prophets, then that makes sense of that passage and other passages, but we see it's the Spirit of Jesus. And we should note. The same Spirit is now in you. The same Spirit that was indicating to those prophets about the glory of Christ that was to come is the same Spirit that's in you now indicating the same thing. It's the same Spirit that calls out sin in your life. That same Spirit is at work in you. I think of Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where Paul says, as you were obedient, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is at work in you just as He was at work in those prophets. So we see the prophets searched, the Spirit indicated, and the Christ suffered, the Messiah suffered. In verse 11 it says, the Spirit was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. His suffering earned your holiness. His suffering produced it in your life. It came through His sufferings. That is important. You cannot generate it. You can't try hard enough to get it. It came through the sufferings of Christ. And the fact that it's the sufferings that the Spirit indicated is important to us. You know, I used to say, and now my kids have gotten older and they're getting jobs, but used to, my kids' favorite pastime was spending my money. And they were very good at it. And I can't really blame them because when your only source of income is the tooth fairy, it does make it a little difficult to be self-sustaining. But they were, and they got, they figured that out. My kids love ripping their own teeth out of their head because they get money from it. But, um, But they're really good at spending my money. And, you know, when you spend someone else's money, you don't really appreciate the value of it as much, do you? We all know that. That's why given things... Sometimes, unless you have... You can acquire a proper appreciation of things that are given to you, for sure. But failure to properly, properly value a thing results in its neglect and its abuse. If, you've pro, if you fail to properly appreciate the value it'll become common to you. You'll neglect it. You'll even take advantage of it. And when we see the value, you know, cost indicates value. And just because something is free to you doesn't mean it was free. It cost somebody something. And your holiness came at the price of the suffering of the Son of God. So, Let's not look at verse 15 and think, man, God's setting that bar so high. How could He possibly? He's given you everything you need to be obedient to that verse. Everything. It's accomplished. We see the prophet searched, the Spirit indicated, the Christ suffered. In verse 12, we see that the angels looked into this. Again, this helps us gain our appreciation of where we stand in this prophetic sequence. In verse 12, it says, the things which angels long to look. I don't know entirely what that means, but I think that we can believe this, that, listen, what what happened when angels sinned? We have that recorded. We know what happened when angels sinned. When angels sinned, some of them were cast into a locked pit, into chains of darkness and gloom. Some of them uh, were perhaps... Um, Consigned to be unclean, restless spirits Wandering the earth But all of them are destined for hell No second chances No redemption Cast out of heaven, for sure The angels saw this And then they look at you and me And they're baffled They're amazed They're awestruck by grace in your life By the Holy Spirit living in you And me People who are plagued with sin And yet the Holy Spirit lives in us. And yet grace reigns. And yet mercy is offered. The angels look into this because it's something they can observe but never experience. And so we need to appreciate where we stand in this whole sequence. And notice too, this concept of prophetic sequence, it bookends our command in verse 15 because after verse 15, look again at verse 15, it says, "...he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct." Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So here, Peter calls back all the way to Leviticus chapter 11, and there's other places in Leviticus as well, where he's saying, your holiness has been prophesied. It's been prophesied. He's referring to that. Not just um, and back in Leviticus 11, the holiness was a different kind of holiness that we have. And back in Leviticus 11, he's given a whole litany of rules. This is what you can eat. This is what you can't eat. This is what you can wear. This is what you can't wear. And by doing all this, you need to be holy. Because you will. Back then it's the prophecy. You will be holy for I am holy. We have a different kind of holiness, not a dietary holiness. We have a holiness provided to us that is different than the kind of holiness that God's people had in the book of Leviticus. Because we come after the cross. We have the sufferings of Christ, the subsequent glories that are afforded to us, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God in us. They could only see it written on stone tablets. They could see the pillar and the cloud, but they didn't have the experience of Christ in them. You have that. And we need to have a profound appreciation for our standing in prophetic sequence. So that's that's the first of what I would call three biblical strategies to being obedient to this command in verse 15. It, it starts with this foundation of appreciating where we stand in this sequence of, of revelation in history. It's coming to a conclusion and we are blessed to have the opportunity to no longer be slaves to sin, to have the Holy Spirit residing in us, to have the holiness of Christ here's the second thing and we see it in verse 13 set your hope on the coming grace we see this in verse 13 set your hope on the coming grace therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ so we have the Two participles, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. Those are two things that enable you, if you do those things, you are then fully setting your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, So let's let's break, let's look at this. First of all, if we're gonna set our just hang in with me here, because I think the idea of setting our hope on this future coming of Christ can be difficult to really conceptualize. What does that mean? How, how do I set my hope on that? And he, so he breaks it down a little bit. He says, first of all, you need to prepare your mind. Ready your minds. Ready your minds. He says, preparing your minds for action. I, I, that's an unfortunate translation. It's an idiom in the Greek. And what he's saying is, is and King James preserves it, gird up the, the loins of your mind. Literally, it's the idea of rolling up the sleeves of your mind. Think about that. When you see someone rolling up their sleeves, what do you, it indicates something's happening. They're getting ready to do something. They're prepared. And we are to roll up the sleeves of our mind. What does that mean to gird up your loins for action? You know, the closest we probably have in girding up our loins is, I, I see, Think of a cold winter night, you're all cozied up on the couch, you've got a cocoon of a blanket around you, and you're watching, maybe the TV, a commercial comes on, you're thinking, I need to get some Oreos and milk to go with this. You don't wanna, you don't wanna leave the cocoon, that warm, you know, envelope of air, so what do you do? You wrap the blanket around you, you, you know, make this giant diaper and you waddle like this to the, because if it's around your feet, you're gonna fall, you're not gonna make it, right? That was they have long flowing robes. If they're going to go to action, they're going to they're going to gird it up around their waist. They're ready to act. This is important for us because Paul's saying if you want to be holy, if you want to have have practiced holiness in your life, one of the things you have to do is prepare your mind for action. You have to ready your mind. So what does a, a mind that is ready for action look like? Again, it helped me to think of the opposite. An idle mind is not ready for action. An idle mind is not a, a, a mind that's prepared for action. Uh, a distracted mind is not one that's ready to respond to the temptation of sin appropriately. Sin sin is going to surprise you. I'm sorry, the temptation to sin is going to surprise you every time unless you have a ready mind. And then you can see it. You're prepared for it. You're praying ahead of time, like Jesus said. Keep us from temptation. A ready mind is not a mind that refuses to engage unless it is first entertained. There's a lot of minds out there that refuse to engage unless it is first entertained. An unexercised mind is not a mind that's ready for action. It's good to read. YouTube videos are very instructional, but books are instructional too. And with that in mind, a biblically illiterate mind is not a mind that is prepared for action. And perhaps as we think of Peter's history, I wonder how many times the words haunted him that Jesus said, could you not stay up and watch with me one hour? Guys, an exhausted mind is not a mind that's ready for action. An exhausted mind is not a mind that's ready to resist temptation. An exhausted mind is not a mind that's ready to behave and be an instrument in the Lord's hand. So we need to have our minds readied. And, he says, not just preparing your minds for action, but being sober-minded. There must be a sobriety to the way that we think about our present condition. Our present condition being, listen, we, get, we need to be honest with ourselves. We sin. We do. We let ourselves down. We let our family down. We let our God down, in a sense. We sin every day. We need to be honest about what condition am I in. We look at a very broken world around us that's just covered in sin and hurt and distress and disbelief. And we need to have a, a sobriety in the way that we think about our present condition and our anticipated extraction from it. That, that's the whole point here. Is Peter has a very futuristic view of salvation. You know, different, different writers of Scripture would emphasize different components of our salvation. Peter was very future-oriented. The salvation is coming. And Peter's mind, salvation is done when I'm extracted from this situation. When I'm no longer plagued by sin, when I'm no longer in this world, when I'm with Jesus, that's when my salvation is done. And we think of our salvation as 100% complete. In some, in some sense it is, because Christ has won our righteousness, it's done. But in, some, in other cases, it's not. Look at, verse, look at verse 3 when he describes the salvation. And you can just see he's looking forward to it. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope. This is the hope He's talking about. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Right now we're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning when He is revealed to the whole world, when He comes back again and we go to meet Him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, if we're going to live in a holy, in a in a in a, in a lifestyle of holy conduct, if we're going to be obedient to verse fifteen, we have to discipline our minds to set our hope on the coming grace. We have to discipline our minds. We have to live in sobriety and recognize I, this is not the final chapter. The way I am now is not the way I will always be. And I, I can't strategize my way out of it. I'm waiting for Christ. And in that waiting, I'm becoming more like Him because His Spirit is in me. And the weight of all prophecy is bearing down upon me. And I've readied my mind for action, So fully setting our hope on the future grace, more than anything, is a mental discipline. But not only must we discipline our mind to be holy in all our conduct, but this third, for lack of a better word, strategy requires our passions. Not just our mind, not just awareness of where we are in the scheme of prophecy, but it requires our passions. In verse 14, The third thing is we must displace our former passions. If we're going to be holy, if we're going to be obedient to verse 15, we must displace our former passions. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Let's think about one word at a time here. The word ignorance... Leaps out to me because this, in my mind, is affirmation of our previous conclusion that this new hope we have in Christ is a, an awakening of our understanding. It's a preparing of our mind, a renewing of our mind. I think he's continuing that because then he contrasts that and says, before it was ignorance, but now you have an awakened mind. So it's not just wishfulness. It's not glib belief. It's, it's, rooted in understanding. That's what our hope is. And he says, before that, it was rooted in ignorance. But now, now you're informed. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The word conformed is the idea of being pressed into shape by repeated exposure. Pressed into shape by repeated exposure. Think about Invisalign teeth, right? Get your teeth all nice and straight. And if you don't constantly put those at the what is it called, a retainer. If you don't put that retainer in every night, your teeth are going to go crooked again. But that constant, regular exposure to what is proper and what is right aligns it and keeps it aligned. And it works both ways. If you are constantly... Repeatedly exposing yourself to that which is not holy, if you're allowing for that uh, wickedness in your life, the more repeated those passions are in your life, the more permanent the conformity becomes to the wrong things. The more repeated those passions are in your life, the more permanent the conformity is to the wrong things. This is why it's so hard to overcome a sin pattern. Because it's strongest at the point where where you realize you need to change. That's that's the strongest it will ever be in your life. But when you start to develop different patterns in your life, you know, our minds are so moldable. Our passions are so moldable. Things change. And when you start walking righteously, repeatedly, it gains strength in your life. It's a spiritual inertia that gets you out of that hole of sin. It just seems so insurmountable at the time. But God has equipped you. He's given you what you need. I think one of the, one of the I shared this with my, my kids. One of the things that is so helpful is don't reward bad behavior in your own life, in your life. You know, we, we have a puppy and, and you train her to do things and she does them. We're all exactly like that. We are constantly training ourselves one way or the other and we usually falter when we reward bad behavior in our own life. You didn't do what you wanted to accomplish that day. Oh well, I'm going to go home and relax. I need some sleep. No, don't reward yourself until you do what is right and you're building this spiritual momentum in your life. But it's about conformity. What are you going to conform to? You're never going to conform to holiness if you have no exposure to holiness. You're never going to overcome the conformity of the wicked passions in our life if you just continually repeat them. And notice it says former, the word former. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's not that we need to deny our passions. It's we need to find new passions, better passions, more exciting passions, passions that are more rewarding than our former passions. If all you're trying to do is resist, you will fail every time. But if you're moving forward to something your chances of success radically increase. So it's not that we're denying passions. God's given us passions. The problem is most of us don't have enough passion. It's about being passionate for different things. Excited to get up, spend time in the word. So dependent on prayer, you know, I can't get through a day without praying. Passionate about your marriage relationship. Passionate about the blessings that God has put into your life. Passionate about the opportunities. I I talk to so many of you, and I I love seeing all the different vocations, but the passion that you know God is using you in some way through your vocation in other people's lives. That is so encouraging to me, because you're taking hold of your passions. So we need to displace our former passions, find better passions. This is according to Galatians chapter 5, that put off, put on principle. Put on better passions, more rewarding passions. Feed those passions. So in these three strategies, divinely inspired for our spiritual consumption, we see this the full range of human existence is addressed. Uh, first, in the appreciating your standing and prophetic sequence, we see our destiny. And setting our hope on the coming grace, remember that's all about our our intellect disciplining our minds. We see destiny. We see intellect. In this third one, we see passion. All funneled down to the one volitional choice. Will you respond to that command to be holy? Will you exercise and implement the holiness that you were called to? The holiness that you were destined for? The holiness that you were equipped with? The holiness that you're instructed of. The holiness demonstrated by Christ whose spirit now lives in you.